Ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, children of all ages, Kansas City, Casey Moe, the heartland, I am proud to present to you the inaugural, the beginning, the first episode, the debut of a new show that we're going to have here on the Kansas City Public Network called Tapped In. Now we are here in the heart of Kansas City. And by the heart of Kansas City, I mean we are downtown, we are in the crossroads, 17th and Main at Taps on Main. I can take a step outside the front door and I can look to my left and I see the Liberty Memorial. I can look to the right and I can see, uh, uh, I can see the uh, Bartle Hall and I can see the Kauffman Center. I can see the KCP&L building with that scary ass tower that used to terrify me when my parents would be driving me on, on the highway as a kid and I'd see that red tower up there. I'd be like, is that where the devil lives? But no, I love it now. That's the stuff I can see. That's we are right in the heart of Kansas City. When I walk back in that front door, taps on Main, 50 handle beer wall, pour your own beer, not just something you walk up to a beer. They got half a dozen or a dozen taps or something. You get Bud Light, Coors Light, Miller Light, whatever. No, you can get IPAs, stouts, sours, gozes, all sorts of good beers here. And it's a constantly frequently rotating thing. If you're hungry, best wings in the city. That's why we're calling this Tapped In, because we're doing it at Taps on Main. We're in the heart of the city, and we are tapped in to what's going on. And that's what this show is going to be all about. This is our platform here at KCPN to give you new exciting developments that are upcoming, to talk about some things that are maybe kind of really grinding at us that we need to get off our chest and discuss and talk about. And this is something where this is not just me. I introduce myself i got ahead of myself here i'm duncan kaminsky i am one of the hosts of the tailgate podcast here on kcpn but this is something new i am uh, one of the uh one of the the board members for for kcpn at this point and so this is going to be something where here at kcpn we can have these discussions this is going to be roughly a half hour show sometimes a little shorter sometimes a little bit longer but it's an opportunity for us to really talk about some things that need to get out there and we're going to be doing this monday wednesdays and fridays and that way it's it's something where we we don't have to wait for a week to talk about time sensitive issues we've got tremendous podcasts on this network we the fans three miller lights deep river rage and wrestling we've got the tailgate obviously like i mentioned fully loaded the spoke and roll call run your mouth uh voice of fandom there's so many these are bad movies awesome but this is something that this is from KCPN. This is from us, for us, well, for you, actually. This is what Kansas City Public Network is, is it's for Kansas City. And this is KCPN's platform to be here for the city. And so we're gonna talk about a multitude of subjects, of issues, and we're gonna go ahead and dive in. And what's tapped in in Kansas City right now? Well, there was a certain little thing called opening day for our hometown Kansas City Royals out at beautiful Kauffman Stadium. Had fans in it for the first time in well over a year after what was a shortened, truncated 2020 season in which was a truncated, just bizarre, horrifying for a lot of people 2020, but baseball only felt it by having a shortened 60, 60 game season. But we're back. And there was fans there, not full capacity, not like the Texas Rangers, who was the, the visiting opponent yesterday, not like they will have in their opener uh, down in their brand new sparkling ballpark in Arlington, Texas. They will 
have full capacity. So if that's what they want to do, kudos to them. What we're doing here in Kansas City is we've got fans back. It's a limited capacity, but you know, it's a beautiful thing seeing crowd out there and not seeing the cutouts behind the home plate, as awesome as it was to see two Paul Rudds staring longingly into each other's eyes. I mean, who wouldn't want to stare into Paul Rudd's eyes longingly? I certainly know I would. But anyway, uh, the Royals got started off with a win. It was awesome. And it did not start off well. I mean, it was uh, 5-0 before the Royals even got to go to bat. I mean, it, hell, it was 5-0 before the Royals even recorded the first out of the season. They had Brad Keller on the bump, and unfortunately, Brad just really didn't, he didn't show the kind of ability that we were hoping he would as an ace. And so it wasn't an ideal first start for Brad Keller, but you know what? Maybe he was a little amped up. Maybe he was a little hyped. I just kind of needed to get, just get some stuff out of his system, and, and uh, fortunately, the Royals were able to overcome. You know, it's something in the past. We've always seen where the Royals, if they were down 5 nothing like that, it gets ugly. That's just the start of things. And here at Taps on Main, we already immediately had the, the owner, Grant Tower, diehard Royals fan, went from, we're going to win 92 games minimum. And then after that 5-0, we're going to win 12 games maximum. And uh, it fluctuated a bit more. We're at, I believe, I think he said 102 earlier. So he's back up on the high end. Uh, but no, the Royals absolutely went off. And... It was exciting. They they put up five of their own in the first inning. So after five, back at even, and it was five to five. And that was very exciting to see the Royals strike right back and not be afraid. It was very reminiscent of what we've watched the Chiefs do when they would be down, especially during the 2019 playoff run, when they were constantly down by double digits and would come back with haymakers and uppercuts. And that's what the Royals displayed. And on opening day, that's encouraging. It's a 162-game season. That's obviously not going to happen every day. But to come out right there on the, on, the, on the start of the season and show that they've got some moxie, they've got some, some fire, some piss and vinegar, you know, that's it's a term that I'm going to try to bring back. A lot of people don't know. Maybe I shouldn't. We'll see. Uh, but, no, it was very exciting. And we saw there's a lot of new faces on this team that the Royals have made some, some acquisitions unlike what they would do in past years. The new owner, John Sherman, has said that he wants to field a more competitive team and that he's willing to spend more money and, and make sure that the Royals can keep up. And you can see that they've done that. And so we, some of the, and each, each of the new stars, each of the new the hitters had, had their moments yesterday. Andrew Benintendi, a uh, big trade from the Red Sox. Uh, seemingly Boston had given up on him, a former top 10 prospect who was a key member of their outfield up there in Boston in their 2018 World Series win. Uh, in Benintendi, they, he went one for five with a, wa uh, with a walk, two runs. Carlos Santana, a royal killer in his time with the Cleveland, with the Cleveland Indians, or what their nickname soon to be changed, but we're still going to refer to them as the Cleveland Indians moving forward. Uh, but he went one for three. Three walks, two runs, RBI. Michael A. Taylor, center fielder that we signed from the Washington Nationals, three for five, including the first home run. This guy's batting eighth in the lineup. And he, he look at him, he looks slender, and he was the one that jacked the first home run of the season for the Royals. You've got a lineup with Carlos Santana, Salvador Perez, Jorge Soler, and who hits the first home run? It's Michael A. Taylor. You gotta love it. I mean, I, I didn't anticipate it, but you gotta love that this is a lineup up and down that guys can can cause damage. And it's very exciting to see that he was the one to hit the first home run. He ended up three for five in his Royal debut, a run and three RBIs, which was the most on the team. And in another exciting development, 
rookie major league debut, Kyle Isbell goes three for five with a run and two RBIs. So the new bats were really coming out to play and to show that, hey, they're they're ready to wear that gorgeous white Royals uniform with the blue Royals, the Royal Blue Royal <laughs> print right across the chest. And even some of the old faces had their moments. I mean, Whit Merrifield, you, just two hit Whit, man. He had three hits, actually. It wasn't two hits. He was three hit wit yesterday, but he was two run wit and two RBI wit. So, you know, that was, he was, he was contributing. You had Salvi. He went 0 for 4, but he also had a walk. He got on base twice, scored both times, and had an RBI. Jorge Soler, two for two, two walks, two runs, two RBIs, and a solo shot. And in what was an unsurprising in a bad way development right before the season started, Alberto Mondesi was put on the injured list, the 10-day injured list right before the season started. And that's literally people have been talking about the amazing September. He was one of the top five most productive players in baseball last September. And maybe this was a sign of things to come, that Mondesi's finally turning the corner at 25. And he just needs to stay healthy. That's uh, that's the caveat. Anytime anybody talks about Adalberto Mondesi, he just needs to stay healthy. And then he starts the season injured again. And right after we had sent down uh, Nicky Lopez, who and we like him a lot, and he was a finalist for a gold glove at second base last year, but he's just light hitting. He hit, I think, 208 last year, and that's just not going to cut it in a lineup that we are looking to contend this year. I had to bring him back up uh, to play a shortstop with Mondesi down. And Nicky Lopez goes two for four with a run in an RBI yesterday. So, I mean, the guys were just coming after it and, and playing, playing to kill, man. They were, they were looking to really take care of the Texas Rangers and show that, hey, we're not going to, you, you know, you're going to hit us on the chin, but this isn't the 2018, 2019, 2020 Royals. Like, these, this is a new team. And Dayton Moore, general manager Dayton Moore's vision for when the Royals would start to compete again, you can see that he's got some guys in this lineup that they're not ready to quit. And speaking of a guy who's not ready to quit, he's got some pitchers. I mean, we had a rough go with Brad Keller, obviously. Keller went one and a third, nine hits, six runs, all earned. Not, not again, I mentioned not ideal by him, but we'll see that it's one start. And Keller has proven himself over the course of his short Royals career to be a solid, dependable starter. So this one's probably just an outlier. And there's probably nothing to really be concerned about. But, I mean, we'll, we'll see. But... You had the bottom, the last three innings, the Royals only gave up one run. We won this game 14 to 10. It was a football game. We, it, was, it was Chiefs beating Cowboys 14 to 10. That's what this was. It was an unusual score that you're not going to see very often over the course of a baseball season. But that's what we had. But the Royals bullpen came in and did what the Royals bullpen is supposed to do. Yes, they did give up one run. But over the last three innings, it was two hits, four walks, a little bit of a problem. The one run, which was not earned. Seven strikeouts. Now, who was pitching in those last three innings? Scott Barlow, not surprising. Uh, that's the name that we've known from the past. He was kind of our de facto closer for parts of last year. But then you get into some nostalgia, and you got Greg Holland. Now, he was on the staff last year. Had a, The Royals kind of took a flyer on him to see if Greg Holland could bring some of the old stuff that he used to. And he was a very productive, very solid member of the bullpen to a point where he'd probably earned a setup role this year. And he did well. I mean, he was the one that gave up the run, and he got a little bit shaky there in the ninth inning. And then the Royals went to, and I just, I'm like, I'm feeling goosebumps right now just thinking about this. The Royals brought in Wade Davis. 
And to be able to say that it just, it's nostalgia, it's goosebumps, it's so many things. And that was when, when you're watching that and you see Wade Davis come out of the bullpen and he wasn't wearing his old number. He was wearing 71. So that was a little bit weird, but then Wade Davis just came in and shut it down. Just including a 95 mile per hour fastball for a strikeout. And it was, if you're not excited hearing Greg Holland and Wade Davis get the hold and the save for a Royals game, then you're not a Royals fan because no, this isn't 2014. It's not 2015, but man, you're getting the, this, these are some guys that have that spirit and have that fire from those teams. And they're now here back on the roster along with Salvador Perez. And it's awesome that there's all these new players and these young kids, and of course, we've, we're not even mentioning the upcoming kids, the Brady Singers and Chris Bubiches, who have already made their debuts last year, the Daniel Lynches and, and Jackson Coars and Asa Lacey, who have yet to make their Royal debut. They're going to get to learn from the likes of Greg Holland and Wade Davis of the Royal way, and that's, that's beyond exciting. But still, Wade Davis with the save on opening day. The Royals went 14-10, to 10, couldn't be more excited. And it's just, it's, uh, again, it's one out of 162. But came to come back win, took that lead in the fourth inning, ran with it, never looked back. And it's, uh, it's an exciting start to what well, could be a promising Royal season. Who knows? We might be looking back in June and be like, ah, oh, crap, that was fun back then. But who knows, man? Right now, spring hopes eternal. And let's get excited. Let's have fun. The Royals are back. It's going to be a full season. I'm going to be out there Sunday because I can't wait to watch the boys in blue, man. And it's going to be a gorgeous day. The K, baby, we're back. So Royals are back. K is back. Kansas City, get excited. That is a little bit of tapped in right there. We're tapped in to the Royals. What else are we tapped into? Well, the Chiefs. And I think that some people maybe aren't so tapped into the Chiefs. Now, and I'll get to that in a second. The NFL just had to, as I'm switching gears now with the NFL, the NFL just officially announced that it's going from a 16 to a 17 game schedule. That was to be expected. That was part of the new collective bargaining agreement that the players and the owners agreed to last year. So it's not a shocker by any means. What did surprise me is that it's going to only be an 18-game schedule. They're knocking the playoffs back a week. It's going to be the Super Bowl is going to be the third, or the second week in February instead of the first week in February. And I thought, okay, well, there's your opportunity to do two bye weeks. Your openers on September 9th, kick it back to September 2nd and do two bye weeks. If you're going to ask the players to play 17 games, they deserve a second bye week. We already see how many injuries are accrued over the course of a season with only one bye week in a 17-week season. It makes sense if you're going to ask them to play one more game. And here's the thing. Is the owner said, oh, well, we're taking away a preseason game because according to our studies, the majority of the injuries happen during the four preseason games. Okay, well, then, so is it going to happen during the three preseason games in the first week? I mean, that's still four, that's still the first four games. I don't really see how that is a pertinent stat for them to throw out. And now you're going to ask them to play 17 games in 18 weeks. You're going to start seeing what happens in the NBA where players are going to get rested in certain games. You're going to see more blowouts because you're going to see certain players maybe get rested in matchups that if they already kind of know where they're at, then I think that maybe certain coaches are going to be like, okay, we're going to kind of let off the bra- or let off the gas a little bit this week. And I, I mean, I could be wrong. It's obviously a much shorter season than the NBA, but this just does not seem like anything beneficial for the players. Which, oh my gosh, if you've ever watched the podcast or the Tailgate podcast, you know that's what we one of the things that we we hammer on all the times. So that is a drum that we bang very very frequently. Um, 
but it's it's very frustrating and when i look at this it's the players were made all these pro like the players were supposed to finally start to gain some ground on the nfl ownership in uh in the collective bargaining agreement and in 2010 2010 2011 i'm sorry when they were doing their last round of negotiations and they had demory smith representing the players association and he was looked at as this revered guy the players really had a great deal of respect for him and admiration and thought this was our guy who's going to go in to the boardroom and really stand toe-to-toe -to -toe with Roger Goodell and try to institute change and try to make sure the players are getting represented fairly and that they are not getting screwed over. Here we are a decade later, and when I look at things, I don't really see, I don't see a lot of things that have happened in the players' favor. You went from 47 to, it was a 47 to 48 and a half percent based on a few uh, different uh, situation scenarios for what the players got out of the revenue before. Now it's straight at 48%. Now with the 17 game season, it will now be 48.8% of the NFL revenue that players get. But over the course of a decade, that's all you, 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 you're still not over 50%, even though it's definitely not the owners that are the ones making the money, let's be honest. The, the, all this money, all the, the ad money and on the television money and, and endorsements and everything else, it's not like people want to go see Jerry Jones or Clark Hunt or, or Shad Khan. That's not what they're doing. They're, wa they're watching the players. Play people want to see Patrick Mahomes. That's who's making the money, and yet NFL owners seem to are, are still able to completely pull one over on the players, and it, it blows my mind. And it's here we are a decade later, and again, they talked about Demory Smith and how much they, how much he was revered, and yet there's, the revenue share is still not really improved. You have now have a longer schedule, and you are still the only we out of the major four sports, the only one that does not have guaranteed contracts for their players. This blows my mind that the NFL is the highest gener highest revenue generating sport but also the most violent sport with the most injuries that occur out of the major four. And yet it's the only one that doesn't have guaranteed contracts. That blows my mind. And this is a player empowerment era. And we're seeing that in the NBA and you're starting to see it in the NFL as well. But at this point in change, it's, or I'm sorry, at this point in time, that's just completely unacceptable. And it's, it's they need to make a change in leadership. And because that's something else we've spoken on the tailgate podcast is the leadership needs to be held accountable in all these sports and in college athletics. That's, that's something else we'll get to for in, on another day, but uh, that's, that's a bone to pick. I'll get to that in a second. A bone to pick for another day is uh, college athletics, but the leadership in charge of all these major sports organizations need to be held more accountable. And it's time for change in some of them, particularly in the NFL. Now, what I'm going to really get into then that, that was a bit, you know, that just happened. That's, that's something else. But one thing that is bugging me and, a segment we will have here on Tapped In called a bone to pick. There's the best wings in the city. You get leftover bones. So we're tapped in. We're at Taps on Main. Sometimes I got a bone to pick. And this week, this or today here, Friday, April 2nd, my bone to pick, ah, oh man, this is the debut episode, but it's with some Chiefs fans and some uh, members of the Chiefs media, uh, of, uh, of media, some social media presences, of people that are really coming after Brett Veach for the free agency moves that have happened this offseason so far. I've been seeing terms like failure thrown around. I have been seeing a lot of people very disappointed 
in Brett Veach and thinking that he has struck out more this offseason than he has hit. That blows my mind. Okay? <laughs> do, what do, you, do you really think we're going to hit on every single player that we take a swing at? I mean, yes, we are the defending AFC champions, won the Super Bowl a year ago, three straight AFC championship game appearances, but that doesn't mean this, this isn't you, you, the Lakers don't hit on every pick. The Yankees don't hit on, I'm sorry, on every attempt at a player. The Yankees don't. The Dodgers don't. This, the Knicks, or the, the, the Celtics don't. The Knicks, well, I mean, the Knicks are, are a dumpster fire, but that's whatever. Um, and for people to think that the Chiefs are failing because they're not hitting on this, and all of a sudden there's this concern that, oh, are the Chiefs not the free agent destination that we thought they were? Is this not something that's going to attract athletes and, and superstar players to want to come play, play with Patrick Mahomes? Is this not a thing? It's still a thing. It's just these guys, they all have their own lives too. You look at Trent Williams has been the biggest example. It was down, yes, it was down to us in San Francisco. And he literally was texting Niners head coach Kyle Shanahan saying, hey man, I'm going to Kansas City unless you do something here. Come and get me. But people will think it's a failure on Kansas City's part when San Francisco offered him the biggest contract for an offensive lineman in NFL history. And he had already moved to San Francisco the year before. He was already had roots in San Francisco. Yes, he was ready to come to Kansas City, but when the team makes an makes a makes a throw, makes a plan, makes a plea to him, and hey, here's the money, here's the years that you want to stay in San Francisco and stay in an offense you already know. I'm sorry, but that's not a swing and miss by Kansas City. Yeah, we didn't get our guy, but he chose to stay home. The other example that people have got, that people have looked at, was Juju Smith-Schuster. Yes, we offered more money than Pittsburgh did. But another another example of that, what was Juju Smith-Schuster going to be in the Kansas City offense? He was going to be the third option at best. You're not going to you're not going to jump ahead of Tyreek Hill. You're not going to jump ahead of Travis Kelsey, in who in who Patrick Mahomes throws the ball to. He signed a one-year deal because he wasn't getting the offers on the free agent market that he was hoping for. So what are you going to do? And obviously, this is a lower salary cap season. It's expected to jump from the hundred and I think hundred eighty-two and a half this year. It's expected to jump to around two hundred fifty million next year. Next year is when Juju Smith-Schuster, being as young as he is, I think what 25, 26 years old, he knows he can probably cash in if he has a productive season. What is more likely the more likely scenario for him to have a productive season, being the number three option in Kansas City or the number one, maybe number two option in Pittsburgh? especially with Roethlisberger coming back, a quarterback that he already knows. And yes, Roethlisberger is not the quarterback he used to be. He just turned 39 years old. There's a lot of concerns in Pittsburgh, but he de he seems to, he was cognizant of the fact that he was much more likely to be able to cash in next offseason. Juju Smith-Schuster doesn't seem like the kind of player that wants to go out and and go win championships at this point. He To him, it, it didn't seem to register that, oh, I, I would get to go play with Patrick Mahomes. I might go win a Super Bowl. He just wants to cash in next offseason. And you know what? If that's, if, that, if that's a player's prerogative, there's nothing wrong with that to each their own. And that is absolutely these – are, these are athletes with amazing God-given abilities that have done the work to maximize that ability. And if this is how they want to – if this is what they want to do with it, then – who are we to, to say anything otherwise? And on that same token, who are we to say anything otherwise about Brett Veach not being able to get these guys, not making the more appealing offer? We're not always going to have the more appealing offer. You know who we did have the more appealing offer for? The best guard on the market, Joe Tooney. 
We needed to protect Patrick Mahomes. You know who else we had the best, best, most appealing offer for? Kyle Long. Come out of retirement, and he didn't sign with the Raiders. That in itself is a win. He signs with us instead of the Raiders. Yes, he's been a guard. Maybe they want him to play. He's a versatile guy. He's a big guy, 6'5", 3'10". So he can play all over the offensive line. The guy was a stud with the Bears. And now he's coming off a full offseason of being able to help be healthy and let his body heal. The Chiefs went out and got some guys. They brought back Mike Remmers. A lot of people are going to be concerned about that. The plan is not to have Mike Remmers at left tackle. When Mike Remmers was at right tackle or when he was at one of the interior positions, he did an exceptional job. You look at that Saints game when he uh, – no, I'm sorry, he was out for that one. But you look at some of the – when he stepped into right tackle after Mitchell Schwartz went down, the Chiefs were able to hold it together more often than not. Yeah, there was a few slips here and there, but – it wasn't until we asked him to play left tackle in the Super Bowl without any help from tight ends, fullbacks, running backs, anything like that, where he got owned by what was frankly just a really worked up Tampa Bay defensive line and that knew that they could smell the blood in the water and they fully took advantage of it. But the Chiefs are going out. They're trying to upgrade this roster in ways that, that is beneficial to the future in regards to the fact that it doesn't handicap them. They've only got the one big contract with Tooney. And again, the the cap goes up massively next year. So the Chiefs can maybe be able to go get a couple more guys next offseason. What's more likely is that the Chiefs need to hit on some draft picks because I'm hearing all this criticism of Brett Veach, but while I think that it's, it's unfounded for – what has happened in free agency this year for people to say that it's been failures and that I disagree with. The one thing I will acknowledge that Brett Veach definitely needs to improve upon is his drafting. And it's not just him. I take this back to, to John Dorsey's days, but when we have a team that is centered around a half a billion dollar quarterback, think about that half a billion dollars in your backfield, you need to find other ways to improve the talent around the team. We're not always going to be able to go out and sign uh, the best offensive tackle on the market, the best offensive guard on the market. And th- what the Chiefs need to do is they, they, you have to hit on your draft picks because you have to have cheap, good talent around your quarterback and your other high investment players. I mean, we're going to spend, we're always going to invest money in the likes of a Tyreek Hill, of a Travis Kelsey, of a Chris Jones, a Frank Clark who please, please step it up. And that's one reason I love the Jaron Reed signing is Frank Clark's best seasons came with Jaron Reed. You kick Chris Jones out a little bit. It should only help the pass rush. But anyway, the likes of the Teron Matthews. But we need to hit on our draft picks elsewhere. And that's been a big issue is, well, this is not me saying anything bad about Clyde Edwards-Elaire. I really like Clyde Edwards-Elaire. I think he is going to be a Pro Bowl caliber running back moving forward. But that was a first-round pick. That hurts to use a first-round pick. And you know why we had to use a first-round pick on Clyde Edwards-Elair at running back? That's because whether you agree with me or not, I don't care. This is my opinion. The 2017 third-round pick that we used on Cream Hunt, that's a bust. Is Cream Hunt a bust? That's up for debate. I think he, I think he is as a draft pick by the Chiefs because of what happened. And people can agree with me or disagree with me on what happened and why the Chiefs let him go. I do agree with why they did, but that's something where that is a wasted third round pick. And that meant you had to use a first round pick three years later at that same position. 
and the Chiefs had so many other needs. They could have used that first-round pick on an offensive lineman last year. And who's to say that what happens in the Super Bowl last year, maybe there was a better option on the roster to fill in at left tackle uh, in a rookie first-round pick or somebody who would have filled in at right tackle over the course of the season and then could have been that left tackle in the Super Bowl. Maybe the Super Bowl goes differently. I mean, there's a number of what-ifs, and obviously that's – that's apparent and that's that's true for any sport in any any situations there's what ifs but that is a what if and that's something that comes down to the fact that we had a third round pick that ended up being a bust he's not a part of our future it's a wasted third round pick and you look at the 2018 draft i'm sorry the the 2016 draft you look at the year before kavari russell third round pick didn't even make it out of camp and yes this is on john dorsey this is not on brett veach and i i will i will acknowledge that but brett veach was also in that front office staff he was in that war room making those decisions and then uh kavari russell cornerback out of notre dame third round pick didn't even make the roster wasted third round pick that that's things you cannot do you're not always going to get starters out of third round picks but you at least need major contributors guys that earn their keep pretty much first second third round you need to have guys that are going to be that young talent and maybe the third rounders are the guys that you're not always going to retain but you look at some of the third rounders the chiefs have hit on oh in the course of their history jamal charles travis kelsey i mean they've had some real true some of the best players in franchise history that were guys that came from the third round so that's something you can't use a third round pick on a guy who doesn't even make the opening day roster. And obviously that's five years ago, but that's, that's indicative of something that has been a problem with this, with this team. You look at the 2018 draft, Dorian O'Daniel was one of our third round picks. So is Derek Nanotti and Nanotti has been a steady starter at nose tackle for the chiefs. But you look at the second and the other third round picks, Dorian O'Daniel, a special teamer, that's something you want out of a fifth, sixth, even a fourth round pick, not a third round pick. We needed him to be a starting linebacker by this point. And whether that's on him or that's on the coaching staff uh, or if that's on the scouts and Brett Veach for going out and drafting him in the third round in 2018. And the bigger miss, Breland Speaks. We traded up in the 2018 second round to go take Breland Speaks and missed. That's not acceptable that's that's not there's no excuse for that you miss on a second round pick and he doesn't even make it into the third the third year with the team I mean no this isn't like the Titans missing on Isaiah Wilson with their first round pick last year and he's not even going to make it to a second season with the Titans let alone then getting traded to the Dolphins in a swap of seventh round picks and then not even making it past two weeks with the Dolphins but that's that's something else but this is this is a, the Chiefs are a Super Bowl contender who are missing on these, missing on these players. And the 2019 draft was much better. And Michael Hardman, people will say what they want about him. He's getting during his third season. We'll see. Juan Thornhill, nails, absolutely looks like a solid pick. And so it's there's just there's a lot. There's just there's a lot of concerns with some of his drafts, and that's where people will freak out about the free agency misses. We're not going to we're not going to need these free agents if we can start hitting on our on our draft picks more often. And that, that's it's just something the Chiefs absolutely need to. In, I don't know if they need to invest more more money into it, more time with scouts, or Brett Veach just needs to maybe re 
reanalyze how he goes about this process. But it's definitely an area where the Chiefs need to drastically improve because we do have this special quarterback and we do have these special players. And the NFL has never seen the likes of a combination of an offensive mind like Andy Reid and a player with the capabilities of Patrick Mahomes paired together. And again, three straight AFC championship appearances, two straight Super Bowls with one victory, and it, the, the possibilities are endless. But if we want to maximize this window, we need Brett Veach to be hitting on these draft picks. Now, having said that, I will definitely give that last year, yes, I gave my thoughts on the first round pick being Clyde Edwards Elaire, but second round pick, Willie Gay. Yeah, there was some issues, but like, man, that kid, he brings the speed, he brings range, and a lot, there was really no rookie linebackers in what was a shortened off season because of COVID-19 really were able to hit the ground running. And it was, it was almost a red shirt year for a lot of them. And I, that's how I'm gonna look at that for Willie Gay, because he definitely had his moments. Unfortunately, the injury that happened to him right before the uh, during practice in the playoffs wasn't severe. It's torn meniscus. That's something that it's, he should be ready to go by the start of the season. But a full off season working with the Chiefs, I'm very encouraged at what Willie Gay can bring. Third round pick, Lucas Niang. That's that's obviously you can't grade him at this point. But this was a kid who, when they took him as a tackle out of TCU in the third round, he fell down because he'd had injury issues at TCU. But this was a guy who, had he played his full senior year at TCU, you're talking about bottom of the first round, top of the second round, roughly right around where the Chiefs drafted, that 32. Like, he was looking right around there for where he would have gone. And so... I'm excited to see what he can bring. I think he is the right tackle of the future. I think it's between him and Mike Remmers for who wins that right tackle job. And as much as I like Mike Remmers, I would love if Lucas Neing brings that because that means he is fulfilling that potential. And then you look at the best draft pick the Chiefs had of the entire draft, Legereus Sneed. That kid looks like he should have been a first rounder. He looks like a future Pro Bowl or a corner. And he's going to be one of those guys where that is a hit for Brett Veach. And again, this, this 2020 draft, I'm very encouraged by because they really hit with him. You hit in fifth round pick Mike Dana, defensive end out of Michigan. That guy was the second most productive defensive end as a fifth round rookie behind Frank Clark, the, the $100 million man. We needed somebody to, we need somebody to step up next to Frank Clark. Maybe Dana takes another step. And then you look at, they trade, they, they use a sixth round pick on Bo Pete Keys. We didn't see a lot, but he still got a start in week 17 when we rested all the starters. He had some moments. He looks like a guy who that could be a nickel corner of the future. And then you head on to Sean Wharton out of Missouri. Missouri, it was it T and T in and T. I can't remember. I looked it up earlier to see where we got to Sean Wharton out of, but he was Missouri S and T. Science and technology, the former Rolla, Missouri Rolla. We got him as an undrafted free agent out of there. That guy was probably our second best defensive tackle last season after Chris Jones. And this is an undrafted rookie. So all these concerns I have with the Chiefs needing to draft better, I look at before the 2020 draft. The 2020 draft, I think, may have been a step in the right direction. We'll obviously see at the end of this month on the 29th, 30th, and, and May 1st is when we've got... Uh, the, the 2021 draft, and we'll see what the Chiefs do. And they've got draft, they've got picks in in every round except for the seventh. And you know they've got a, they've got two third rounders, two fourth. I'm sorry, two fourth rounders, two fifth rounders because of compensatory picks. And so this is something where maybe they can actually get a little flexibility, use a little bit of, of that those extra picks to move up if they need to. We'll see, but 
for all of you that are down on Brett Veach, cut it out. Because if you are, you're looking at it the wrong reasons. It's not because of it. he's not missing in free agency. I already illuminated, illuminated these reasons. He's, it, the concern should be with the draft, and last year was a step in the right direction. So I think Chiefs Kingdom had the, 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 the red and gold glasses came off after what happened to us in the Super Bowl. This bubble we were living in that the Chiefs were almighty and we, anything was possible and we were going to win a bevy of Super Bowls and all these great things were going to happen. And I think the, the glasses came off, the bubble burst, and we all of a sudden, oh, my God, we're not invincible. We are, Patrick Mahomes is not the ultimate salve, the ultimate Band-Aid. You can just throw on anything and we'll fix any problems on the roster. And if anything, what we should be looking at it as is we need to do what we can to maximize, to, to cre make it easier. Make Patrick's life easier. He just had a kid. You know, he's... He's got a lot going on. We need to do what we can to make his life easier because Lord knows if we do, he's going to go off and win us a crap ton of Super Bowls if we just maximize the window and create the most opportunities for him to do so. And stop being concerned about Brett Veach and his free agent signings because they will find guys and if and they need to do so through the draft. And if last year's draft was any indication, it's a step in the right direction. And so step away from the cliff, just chill the hell out, Chiefs fans. Yes, I understand we need to be critical and we need to, we need to really hammer home the fact that we have high expectations and that this is a special era and that we can't let it slip away. We can't turn into the Packers where they won one Super Bowl with Favre and one Super Bowl with Rodgers. You know, we, need, we, we have an opportunity to do to be the next blue blood. You look at the Packers of the blue blood from the 60s, the, Cow the Steelers from the 70s, Niners in the 80s, Cowboys in the 90s, and then the Patriots over the last 20 years. This is an our opportunity to become the next blue blood in the NFL and win a crap ton of Super Bowls in the 2020s. And it's still entirely possible. But to, to sit there and, and fixate on Brett Veach's failures and all of a sudden to, to really magnetize that and look at that through that magnifying glass and, and think that he is, he is failing this offseason, you're not going to win based on free agency. You're not going to build a super team. This isn't Madden where you build a super team in free agency. It's just not going to happen. We do it through the draft. That's where the concerns were. Last season was a step in the right direction. We've got another opportunity in a few weeks. Let's see what happens. Let's go Chiefs Kingdom. Still plenty of reason to be excited, guys. Like, there's, there's really there's no reason to freak out because we had a historically, historically bad offensive line situation in the Super Bowl. You know Brett Veach is not going to allow that to happen again. And with some of the signings we've already had, that's already the case. And we'll see who they take in that first round. Praying for an offensive tackle. That's, that's what we need. And, but if that doesn't happen... I have faith in Brett Veach to make it happen. You should as well. So that's my bone to pick. I love you, Chiefs Kingdom. I like to, th I, I, out at the games, I'm the guy that sits there and like I get into it with the fans. I love it with, I love being out there with the fans. I love Chiefs Kingdom. But guys, we just need to be a little bit better. We just need to chill. So that's my bone to pick. I will not come after you very often, Chiefs fans. I don't like it. I feel like it's picking on a sibling or something like that, man. This hurts. This hurts my soul to do that. But I just need us all to just take a step back and chill. So anyway, I'll finish that. 
This has been the debut episode of Tapped In. That brings us to an end for today. I mean, exciting. Royals are off again today. I mean, the, the always how it is, you know, the first uh, – the, for the the day after the opener, they take off. So it's, oh, we're excited. Okay, we're going to take another day off. But, you know, you got two more games the rest of the weekend. You got the draft later this month. So a lot of things to be excited about here in Kansas City. We are tapped in to what's going on here in Kansas City. I got a little too intimate with the mic just there. Uh, but very tapped in. And so this is just the first. This is the inaugural, the debut, the premiere. We're coming back at you next Monday, next Wednesday, next Friday. We will have Gracie. Moving in the future, we will have Kingston. This is not just tapped in with Duncan Kaminsky. This is tapped in with Gat. This is going to be tapped in with Kingston. This is going to be tapped in with Joe. This is going to be tapped in with Zach. This is going to be, we've got the whole team here. This is our platform, and this is what we're going to do. So I couldn't be more happy to get to host this inaugural episode. I hope you all enjoyed it. It's just going to get better from here. And, again, I can't tell you how many exciting things are on tap. With, for KCPN and so stay tuned and uh, let's go get it guys stay royal